Welcome to Connex, a global leadership platform for construction exec executives. Today, I have Teddy Rogers on with me. Teddy, how you doing? Good, good, doing well. So I, so you told me um, that you were in Florida today. So what are you doing in Florida? Um, that's actually where I live full time now. So I'm. I like to think of myself as the uh, the best uh, construction worker a thousand miles away. Most <laughs> of my business is in Central Kentucky. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So, um, well, you know, uh, I I do the old Larry King thing where when I go and meet, when I do podcasts with people, I try not to read up on anyone because I I think it's uh, it kind of you know opens opens the door to a lot of questions uh, live. So, so, so tell, not send me any questions. So, <laughs> so tell me about tell me about yourself first off where, where you grew up how you ended up being where you're at and the business you're at, and then tell me about your company. Sure. Uh, well, I am a Lexington boy. I grew up in Lexington, went to Clay's Mill, Jesse Clark, and Lafayette, and uh, and then eventually went on to you know go to the community college for a couple of years, UK for a couple of years. Uh, inevitably dropped out to be a contractor um, when I think I was about 20 fairly close to graduating and I started working for a, a local builder who, um, you know, built uh, single family, multifamily, you know, what mm -hmm. most would call production homes and uh, did that as an employee for eight years. Um, you know, from there, I, uh, I started my business actually while I was still working for him. And then, you know, the infamous economy crash uh, around 2008, nine, you know, work got slim and so he laid me off and um, I actually continued to subcontract supervise for him for five more years after that because it kind of oh, helped wow. supplement the income for my business. Um, so really, I mean, not only do I kind of owe him a big thanks for, you know, giving me the education in real time, uh, giving me the grace to let me start a business while I was still his employee, but really being the, the reason the startup was successful because we had kind of a guaranteed income to continue to build his product while we were getting our, you know, getting our feet wet. Sounds like a good, it sounds like a good man. Uh, it, it, tough to find those people nowadays sometimes. So, so, so we, after you uh, got, you know, um, after you got, you know, got done kind of working for him, how, tell us about your company. Did you start your company up during that entire thing or? Well, the, the company existed. It actually started in 06. Uh, in 07, we went, we incorporated the business, but then really it didn't become a real full-time thing until, you know, 2010 time period when, um, you know, we were transitioning from, or I was personally transitioning from being his employee to be an independent contractor. And then, you know, 2010, work was a little bit scarce. Um, we actually were subcontracting his product we were also building fourplexes for another gentleman uh, in two locations in central Kentucky. So I was building, you know, 30 houses or so for him. I was building three or four buildings for this other guy. And then we also picked up uh, a company who owned and managed about four or 500 um, units in Lexington, mostly Lexington. Mm -hmm. And so some of those were theirs and some of those were actually for another local uh, builder slash developer. And so we, we would flip them, we would service them, we'd maintenance them. Um, 
you know, literally I was, you know, working during the day, doing paperwork at night, uh, painting on weekends. It, it was seven days a week for a good couple of years. And, you know, during that time period too, we, we started getting big into networking groups and started growing our brand. And, um, you know, the growth we experienced between 2010 and 2014 was significant. And that's when I actually quit subcontract supervising for my former employer. Mm -hmm. uh, it was around 2014. I had, I think I had 18 houses under construction for him at that time. Oh, and I, wow. gave him, uh, I gave him three months notice. I said, I'm in three months, I'm going on vacation. When I come back, I'm not going to be managing your product anymore. And, um, and then in 2015, I split the two companies into Anderson Rogers Construction and Anderson Rogers Commercial. Because hmm. we were already doing commercial work. We had been licensed in commercial work since 2010, but we started picking up, you know, a significant client, one in particular that built medical facilities. And so we decided to split the two entities uh, in 2015, which ended up being for the best because they really are so vastly different in terms mm -hmm. of the people, the education behind them, the construction methods, everything. So, uh, and then we've just been rolling ever since. Well, you bring up a great point about like, you know, you can be involved in construction, but there's so many different sectors. And then, you know, when I taught at the university, there's, uh, I always try to say, you know, there's so many opportunities of you that you can do, you know, commercial is different than industrial, industrial is different than residential. And there's a nuance to all of those. And, uh, um, uh, you can find your niche within those, you know, so, um, which it sounds, it sounds like you, you did. You certainly can, you know, commercial is one where obviously I had, you know, uh, 15 years or so by the time we started the commercial company, I had 15 years in residential. And so it was, in a essence, uh, it was kind of learning to walk again for me as well, because the, the whole method, the whole approach, everything was different. And then Commercial, you really can divide it into so many categories. Um, you mentioned industrial, but you, you've got medical, you've got restaurant, you've got a lot of focused competition who maybe they build and focus on medical facilities, or maybe they focus on light industrial or heavy industrial. You know, some will build shells, but not do the interior fit ups. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll see these developments kind of do that where they might take it to a gray shell or they might take it up to a white box. Mm -hmm. So, so the various stages of doing it, people ask me a lot of times in commercial, what do we do? And I'm like, well, we do interior build outs. We do interior white boxing. We do gray shells. We do ground up from start to finish. So, you know, but there's companies out there who we often compete against that will stay in a smaller arena. And um, so that's, that's definitely kind of what's, interesting about commercial is just how divided and how specialized companies can be so you know that kind of leads into my my next question so what would you say your core focus is for your company now um well definitely independently of one another you know residential's core focus is high-end remodels you know mm -hmm. we're trying to be in the 40502s we're trying to work into the cincinnati Northern Kentucky markets. We're trying to be known for building, you know, uh, additions, uh, doing massive overhauls of properties, building custom homes. You know, the pro the the company might take on you know 25 or 30 projects a year. So we're not trying to do 
the track homes and the, the production homes. Instead, we're focused on a higher end product. Uh, now, commercial, obviously, completely different focus. We, you know, we try to get into developments and stay there when we can. Um, one of the developments we've worked in quite a bit is the summit. You know, we've okay. been there and done several build outs of interiors for offices and for, you know, restaurants as well as some retail. And then, you know, we built a lot of these medical facilities around the state and some in Indiana where they were all ground up. You know, they were walk-in clinics, maybe 3,500 mm -hmm. to 5,500 square foot. Um, we've done some, I did a wedding kind of barn or, or I don't know if you'd call it a wedding or an event barn. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was an interesting one. We've, we've done some restaurant chains. We've, you know, we've really kind of hit a fairly broad, um, spectrum of different types of projects. I'd say, cause we've dabbled in medical, we've dabbled in restaurant and bar. Um, we've dabbled in light industrial, did a, a vending company, you know, where we had to build a concrete safe inside of their warehouse. Um, done some equine stuff for, you know, ongoing current projects as well as, you know, um, upcoming projects, past projects on that. So, you know, it's, it's really a much more broad spectrum. I'd say what we do is we stay more in a financial kind of bubble where we aren't looking at projects this high up and we're trying not to necessarily look at projects this, this small. Although that being said, um, part of the reason we, we get, that much business is we often try to offer services that people struggle to find. So the small jobs, I mean, I can remember a couple $25,000, you know, kind of small remodeling jobs for a light industrial complex. We did some work for as well as a, uh, an office building that, um, I think was a real estate office that, you know, 25, $30,000 worth of work. So, not significant by any means, but something that they really struggle to find qualified contractors to be able to service. So, you know, I'm interested in your perspective on this. Which one in your mind do you enjoy the most doing, you know? Um, uh, and, I, you know, sometimes the most profitable ones are not necessarily the ones you like doing the most, you know, but but w from what what's your perspective on that? Uh, I like unique and interesting stuff. Um, a lot of jobs just uh, they don't excite me that much. I think when you've when you've done well into the thousand plus projects, whether it's residential or commercial, eventually everything starts to you know if you're if you're a if you're a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Mm -hmm. And so at some point, you just you you do lose interest in the less unique ones. So when I see unique projects, um, something that we just maybe haven't built much of, or it's kind of up and coming, it's trendy, or even just overall, maybe it's complicated. Um, I tend to find a lot of interest in those projects. So, you know, other projects that, um, that I've just, I, I guess maybe it's overexposure or something, but like, you know, people get into kitchens, they start to, a lot of them feel the same because, you know, what's trendy and what's popular tends to be kind of universal in those mm -hmm. type of projects. So, you know, I don't get real excited about those these days, but I still love looking at the, you know, I still love looking at the outcome and, 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 uh, and entertaining a happy customer. 
So, you know, you, you touched on this a little bit before, but what, what was the most significant event that you had in the history of your company that kind of has directed the, the, your business model that you have today? That's tricky because I, there's a couple milestones that kind of, uh, I would say, um, elevated us to another level. And, you know, once you have enough work that you no longer need to subcontract under a larger, you know, builder, that's, that's kind of a milestone that we hit that, you know, as much as it was hard to give it up at that point, it was only 5% of our business. So mm-hmm. seeing that growth, reaching that milestone, but even before that landing a client that was consistently bringing you work and working for investors and then eventually kind of graduating to where you really didn't fit the financial you know constraints of an investor's budget you know like your your company overhead became too big and you no longer were a good fit for them so i would say there's there's a lot of milestones um that we could specifically say but I think one of the biggest ones is kind of knowing you're on the big stage with your competition was probably like the grand tour of remodeled homes. Uh, the first year we got on the grand tour and we, you know, we were in there with our peers. We were in there with mm-hmm. the companies who we looked up to and inspired to be like. And uh, I can even remember the time that one of my, you know, constituents told somebody else we didn't know each other at the time but i considered him to be you know um still a mentor type company the company we'd want to you know grow into he told somebody we were his competition and i remember being so excited to hear him thinking of me <laughs> as competition like so so milestones like that are are i think when you kind of are like hey we're, we're getting there I don't ever like to say we made it, but I often will say we're getting there. <laughs> so was there, you know, 2000, you mentioned 2008, 2009, that, you know, that entire period. How did that change your business model? Um, definitely, we thought going into it that we were going to build new construction, we were going to do remodeling, and we were going to flip houses. So mm-hmm. that was kind of, that was that initial dream of what the company was going to be. And honestly, what it changed us into was a little bit more of a, what I call a scrappy company. Like we had to really look for ways to keep our head above water and entertain just about anything. So we realized real quick that, you know, there was a lot of underserviced areas within construction, including, but not limited to the property management companies, them needing kind of reliable, consistent contractors who could overall service, you know, a broad range of needs and be kind of a, a, you know, one-stop shop for them resource so that they could keep their overhead of in-house management to a minimum. You know, if you don't have to have a bunch of service guys chasing down different types of subcontractors and instead can rely on one company. So, you know, for what was relatively a small fee, we became that one-stop shop for these people, whether it was flipping the units, servicing the units, um, you know, running even sometimes just general maintenance when it came to it, doing major remodels for them at the same time. Uh, You know, I think we remodeled 37 units in one of their apartment complexes and did so on a relatively slim budget where 
you know, to, to do a true proper overhaul would have just been well outside of their reach uh, and affordability. We were able to kind of put a lot of, you know, good construction and practice in place, um, being friendly to their budget, but, you know, limiting kind of how we overhauled it, like trying to, trying to guide them to, you know, skipping a few corners and um, that wouldn't come back to bite them later. Mm -hmm. Now we've talked a lot about the past. Let's talk about the future. So tell me about, you know, what does the future look like for you guys on, on, you know, short term, long term, how are you preparing for that? What do you see um, in the industry and where you, where you trying to get to? Well, it's funny. uh, My other, business partner he's he's much more of the where we're headed and he used to ask me he said uh you know what's your plan and i said i'm doing it (laughs) and (laughs) you know so it's our outlook is to continue to expand and grow um at a sustainable rate you know to get into new markets uh i think we know at this point how to sell we know how to attract customers and you know at this point I think it's just it's continuing to grow at a rate where, you know, we're not putting ourselves in danger or overextending ourselves because we've seen a lot of people just they'll go, you know, they'll see so much growth that they'll start just diving into new markets and and putting themselves in an extended risk. And I would think our goal would just to be to be a little bit slower and more calculated about it. Um, Our growth was rapid over the last 10 years. And if anything, I would say I'm trying to more maintain and and slow down that growth um, than anything. So to to be a little bit more direct about it, it's it's really going into like the Louisville markets uh, a little bit more. It's, you know, covering the surrounding counties a little bit more than, you know, just central Kentucky. It's getting to that northern and Cincinnati market and then just continuing to expand from there because I think the market in like Cincinnati is you know almost i think counting the urban service areas outside of it you know three times the size of or four times the size of the lexington market and louisville i'm pretty sure is at least double or maybe two and a half times the size of lexington market so we see the opportunity in those bigger cities being possibly bigger than lexington so uh, do you, you know do you uh it's it's funny yeah you mentioned about is he your business partner or is he, uh, you, you were talking about the gentleman that look, thinks about the future. Oh yeah. Uh, Brent Anderson. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. He, he's, he's gotten a little bit in more into networking these last couple of years, but for the longest time, uh, Brent was more so behind the scenes, often running kind of what I would say is the systems and the, you know, more of the financial side of the business, um, making sure, you know, that we were kind of, as we grew, implementing a good system of structure so that anybody could come in, work within our system, you know, have a good, good, um, you know, core of expectations in place. And he's, he's been on the inside developing that. Now he's been networking more, but uh, I remember several years back, we went to a golf scramble and, um, and nobody knew who he was and he goes my plan's working perfectly (laughs) (laughs) he really just didn't want to be the face of the company he wanted to work behind the scenes and and be part of that growth but now brent anderson um he's the anderson of anderson and rogers 
Um, so, uh, well, I wanted to get his name out there because, uh, uh, obviously now that I know that he doesn't want to be known, I'm going to let everybody know what his name <laughs> is. So, so well, he's uh, chairman of the remodelers council now and oh, okay. uh, maybe future president. Um, I think he's, he's several years away from that, but no, he, he's really embraced it. Um, and gotten us really involved more in the BIA because, you know, we, we go back and forth on kind of changing up those roles. And for the longest time, uh, I was networking and some people would have even argued that I networked for a living. But um, in between that, I do, you know, I have a passion for the commercial projects. And so I've, I've been very involved with, you know, the last two years of that. So I've kind of backed off of networking a little bit and he's, he's tried to pick up the slack, but he tells me they always ask where I'm at. When he <laughs> <laughs> that's a humbling effect you know so, so let's talk about uh you particularly and some of the advice and some things that you can kind of bring to the table one of the things i think is really great about this podcast is that i always ask people what what do you possess you know what skills and abilities do you possess that have led to your success and then the second part of that is is that what's the advice would you give to somebody else coming into the industry wanting to achieve the same thing? Um, I, I think a lot of it comes down to just a respectful and um, welcoming, inviting uh, type of attitude. You know, whether we're talking about customers or, or contractors, um, I tend to take, you know, I tend to take into account that they're, they're just people like us. Um, you know, they're just trying to, you know, get by. They're trying to do what they need to do to be successful in their own side of things. And so when they're hiring us, you know, we treat them with the dignity and respect they deserve. We consider them to hold a high level of knowledge and we tend to always try to be an educator for them. Mm -hmm. to, you know, I think one of my things I used to say is let's, you know, let's hide behind honesty like hide behind the truth. Like if you're, you know, in construction and you know much about the industry, you know that construction's a little bit messy. It's, um, you know, when you demo a house, it's not gonna be super clean, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's messy. And across the board, when you have, you know, so many people involved in trying to bring together this product, this project, each person might have their own callus. Like they could have an employee who, got sick, especially in these day and age with the pandemic. They can have an employee who took another job and that was maybe their key em employee. And so a company that's done extremely well for you for the last six or seven years could all of a sudden lose their best guy. And the labor shortage could impact them with timeframes or it could impact them with quality. And part of part of understanding that and, and expecting that it could happen and being Kind of an advocate for their success because um, it's so tied to yours and then communicating these things to customers like what's going on behind the scenes because i think a lot of times people think hey construction it's just they come in they they do this they do this and this and it's done but when there's 20 different contractors involved and each one has their own employees um you know there's, there's times where things are going to disrupt that schedule whether it's a company's issue, whether it's a product issue or whatever. And you kind of always have to be a strong communicator. 
I had a conversation with the subcontractor and I just really leaned on him to be a strong communicator with my team because I need my employees to be able to relay to me. They're, they're my boots on the ground. I need them to be able to relate to me what's going on and if there's issues and if it's a time to step in and have a hard conversation with somebody. But, you know, strong communication, I think, is key for both sides, both the customer and the subcontractor, and then just treating them with respect and dignity and trying your hardest never to burn a bridge, never, never leave behind an enemy. You know, just um, even if you disagree with somebody, it's none of this is personal. It's all business. And so I think that's kind of a long drawn out answer. But, you know, if you if you communicate well and you hide behind the honest truth, then you've really it's going to be hard for people not to like you. Well, you know, you hit on two two huge points. It, you know, I have to say that. I hate using the word soft skills because it has such a stereotype, you know, nowadays. But the truth is, is that uh, when you when employers hire students or uh, that graduate college, regardless of the industry, but construction specifically, communication is the the largest thing they're looking for. They're not looking for, hey, do you know how to survey? Well, you know, those technical skills you got there, but you can teach those technical skills. You know, you can't, you know. Uh, those communication and you can't teach communication, but it's more, much more difficult. And then the other piece of that is, you know, talking about, about being honest. Uh, honesty is something in the construction industry that is a lost art. <laughs> so, and I hate to say it, but it's, it's true. And I, I try to preach it all the time. One of the reasons I, I did what I did is because I said, it, there has to be a market out there for just being a, honest hard working person now i've made a lot of mistakes and done things i'm not necessarily proud of um and ask my wife she'll tell you you know um but uh but i'm sure your wife will tell you the same thing Teddy. but but the fact is is that man sooner or later we're all gonna meet our maker and you know you gotta you know legacy you leave behind you know i for me having kids was a big one because you know i want them to uh you know have a legacy of of you know, of that honest and integrity, not a legacy of somebody that would cut your throat to, to earn a dollar. So your thoughts on that? No, absolutely. I mean, we, there's enough business out here for everybody and you're only going to hurt your own, you know, reputation and you're going to hurt the industry as a whole. You know, one of the worst things that happens is, is when things tighten up, um, a lot of times contractors, are the first ones to shoot themselves in the foot and cut their own price in order to kind of stay afloat or, or, you know, keep enough business flowing in. And if you start undercutting what the industry is kind of earning and then you're, you're setting us all back. You know, the worst thing I think you can do is um, set us back when inflation and everything else just hasn't slowed. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's what I look at and I say, all right, well, you know, inevitably if somebody is willing to do it, you know, for that cheap, there's some kind of unknown factor there. And sometimes maybe it's just an overhead and they're a smaller company, but other times, you know, they might be, they might be cheapening or shorting somebody on materials. They might be, you know, sell underselling the project to later just upcharge the client. Um, you know, so I, I think that operating with integrity, 
you know, be a little bit skeptical about, you know, those parts and certain aspects of it. And, you know, but just if you are operating in that way and you treat people with the dignity and the respect that they deserve and you kind of cross your T's, dot your I's, um, I guess that's part of it. I, I, but I'm part of me wants to say, all right, like, I'd love to still be doing handshake business mm-hmm. because that's that's the true integrity of construction is like when you could just do handshake business and both sides could trust that they were going to, you know, treat each other the right way, uh, do right by them, charge them the right amounts, not try to take advantage. Um, but anymore, you know, you want to make sure that you have the legal paperwork to back it up to, you know, make sure your paperwork's in place. So tell me about, uh, some you know some failures and successes you've had in your career that have taught you good lessons well i'd say mostly the failures were probably the best lessons to learn um you know that's always a i I think probably one of the best lessons i ever learned was bad mouthing a competitor and seeing it in real time kind of deflate my own um my own image to the customer like mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly who it was, but you know, they told me they were looking to hire this other guy. And more or less I told them to watch out for him. I thought the guy was, you know, deceitful in some way and essentially all, all I really did was hurt my own reputation by doing so. Essentially it, it came across as maybe a scare tactic or it it came across as me not carrying myself to the level I, I'd, I'd say that was probably like, I mean, I, I immediately, immediately sensed the body language. You know, I've, I've made it a point to, to learn how to read people. And I immediately sensed that they couldn't get me out of the house fast enough after I, you know, started trashing my competitor. And um, I think that's probably something that stuck with me more than anything. It's like, no matter what I think of somebody else, that opinion of them very well could somebody could have that opinion of me somebody could be doing that to me out there and i feel like it just it hurt my own my own image in their eyes and i'll never forget that that's probably the best lesson i ever learned is that you know even if you don't believe somebody else is you know doing business like it's not your job to kind of be the moral compass like Mm. to set that bar and decide who's operating with integrity that you're competing against. So probably biggest lesson I learned, don't talk trash about my competitors. <laughs> uh, so what about on the other side, uh, successes? What is probably some of the successes you've had you learned a good lesson from? Um, you know, I'd probably have to lean towards networking. Like I, I started figuring out that connecting people was kind of the key to networking. And in fact, um, through kind of the pandemic, I kind of, uh, I became almost even better at it because it was so easy to connect with people through Zoom and, you know, um, Google Meetup or, or some of the other platforms. It became extremely easy because it actually became the standard. It became, mm-hmm. you know, the expectation that we're not going to meet in person. And so, I got really good at saying, hey, you want to jump on a Zoom call with this person? I think it'd be a good introduction for you. And I realized that 
through that avenue that it made people want to connect me with other people and it and it kind of it, it real time reciprocated um you know kind of the effort of trying to connect people because a lot of people just they didn't know what to do with their time so they had more time on their table and we could we could jump on a zoom for 30 minutes with this person over here who might be a good introduction and a future source of business for you because I stopped looking a long time ago for one customer at a time. I started looking for avenues of business that could be repeat business or that could constantly bring me opportunities. And so I kind of took my networking focus and I started trying to meet up with, you know, architects or land developers or people who were kind of constantly in the construction industry and constantly in need of my services. Well, in doing so, you've got to add value to them as well. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the easiest ways to do that was connecting them with opportunity, just as they were me. Here just recently, a restaurant owner, I connected with one of my developers and ended up leasing out a piece of space from them. And so that touched at least three people. The person I connected who rented the space, the developer who owned it, who received and, um, and wrote up the lease, and the commercial real estate agent who got to broker the deal you know so just by kind of creating that that one connection i've essentially got now three people advocating for me and hopefully kind of acting as almost an outside sales for me and and it already has because that commercial real estate agent you know threw me an opportunity back um, to do a build out for one of his clients so people remember that and i think the strongest lesson i've learned is that is that if you do stuff for other people and you do it selflessly you're you're planting a seed of future opportunity and that's kind of in a nutshell what i'm preaching when i get into my my networks when i get on a soapbox about networking that's uh that's kind of what i'm preaching is like you know go in with a selfless attitude do stuff for people make kind of connections that are going to help somebody else's success and you know a lot of times they're going to remember it and it might not be today it might not be tomorrow might not be for 10 years, but I'm still getting business from people I met in networking groups 10 years ago that I did right by, that I helped out. And, um, you know, so if you can leave, you can kind of leave that trail behind you, of uh, kind of back to what we talked about with kindness, integrity, and dignity, but also just a selfless approach of creating opportunity for people, it usually will come back. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how, like, uh, you know, I always say relationships are the thing that keeps you out of trouble, <laughs> you know, so you need a friend when things don't go well. And unfortunately, in construction, we have a lot of those times, you know, but uh, uh, for sure. So we reached a speed round now. And in the speed round, I'm going to give you uh, eight, uh, 10 different topics and, and uh, categories. Uh, and uh, I want you to rate one to 10, 10 being the most important one being the least important and they can all be 10 so okay. uh, this is your opinion and you can explain explain if you want to or just give a number all right so, uh the first one is scheduling 10. <laughs> i feel like that explains itself <laughs> gotta <laughs> schedule gotta plan ahead you, you should be almost like a fortune teller to a degree you gotta be able to see the future estimating 10 
it's got to figure it out on the front end. Um, got to know what you're going in there and doing. You don't want to hit the customer with unexpected uh, change orders later because you didn't do your due diligence on the front side. Now, the next two, one is contracts, your actual physical paper contract, and the other one is contract administration executing that contract. What would you rate those two? Well, 10 and 10. Um, I feel like that's somewhere it took me a lot longer to get on board. You know, I it's kind of like computer programs and software. It's great. But when you came from a time period where more was done with cell phones, pens and paper, sometimes it's a little difficult to get out of that mindset. But um, I, I would say I operated at a five for several years, but I definitely believe in it on a 10. <laughs> and I'm trying to operate on that level with my contracts now, too. Design. 10. Ah, that one's, you got to work through the design stuff. I think that goes hand in hand with scheduling. If you don't know the design and you're working on the fly, um, and, and I get it, like sometimes it's hard to see the vision until you actually have a space because it's not everybody can kind of imagine what's going on. And But if you want a well-run project, you want to stay within budget and you want to stay on a schedule, you need to you really need to focus on that design. Uh, accounting. Well, because my partner does that, I'll give that like a four. But that's me. <laughs> just, that's me just poking at him. It's extremely important. Uh, you know, you know as well as me. If you if you don't know what your numbers are doing, you don't know how to prepare for future growth. So the the real numbers are ten, uh, unless Brent's listening, then it's still a four. <laughs> what about selling work? Um, I feel like. You know, I feel like the the employee who's selling needs to be a 10, you know, because he's representing a, an arm of you and you want him to be out there representing you well um, and you want him to, you know, really, um, I guess, make sure that what he's selling is something that we can truly produce. So that person needs to be a strong communicator, but definitely a 10 on importance. And last but not least, leadership. Leadership's a 10. It's it's really one of the things I've tried my best to train myself to be better at. Um, I was talking about one of the books I read about leadership uh, to a friend, a client, a constituent earlier. Uh, it's just talking about how the impact of this leadership book I had read and trying to make me better at what I do. Because let's just face it, um, you know, the blind leading the blind is generally not going to work out well. So you, you've got to have strong leadership and a strong leader also has to take a broad range of uncomfortable situations on their shoulders so that their team knows that they're supporting them. And a good leader too will get down in the trenches with them. You know, you, you, you wouldn't see me asking anything of an employee that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. Well, you know, to close this out, I want to say uh, thank you. First of all, um, uh, I, I know we had a little bit of trouble connecting, but I'm glad we actually had a chance to connect. And uh, I'm glad I had a chance to to uh, you know talk with you and learn about you and learn about your company. And you brought up a lot of good topics I, I know our audience would be interested in. But like I, I always like to do with all my guests, I, I want to give them the last words. So the floor is yours. All right. Well, um I don't know what to do with it. I'm not the best uh, self-promoter, um, although I did stand up and do commercials for a long time through networking groups. Um, I would say, you know, as kind of a last word, um, network, network hard, 
get out there and meet people, become a part of the industry and be a pillar, you know, to that industry, like be a good representation of it and look up to the people who have kind of paved the way for you, be respectful of them and try to get on the, you know, try to get on their level, try to be on the same playing field as them. I like to think that um, we're trying to get there, but until I'm in the hall of fame for being in construction for 50 years, then I'm, I'm always just gonna be working towards it. So, you know, work hard, stay diligent and uh, network, be a people's person. Great, uh, great way to close it out. Thank you, Teddy. Uh, Teddy Rogers from Anderson Rogers, Anderson and Rogers, right? Yes, so, sir. Uh, I, I think you should change that around. It should be Rogers and Anderson. Uh, that's my vote. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but once again, thank you for uh, joining us for a uh, Connex podcast. See you next week. Mm-hmm.